0: joining us for this week's chapter of not in the textbooks podcast where we sit and chat about the nitty-gritty never discussed in any of your textbooks i'm Tanja, and i'm audra but before we dig into today's chapter let's clear up some business
1: this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only the views within are our own or are our guests own they do not reflect our profession their profession or any entity with whom we may have connections for employment now in the past or even in the future if you need medical attention advice or care please seek your own personal medical practitioner not our podcast
0: we hope you enjoy
1: Hello, Tanja. How are you? I am fantastic. Awesome. I am super fantastic as well. We have a guest. So scratch our normal format, throw it out the window, and welcome Adam Sultani. Thank you. Welcome, Adam. Welcome. We are so glad to be here. So happy. Thank you. We are so happy to have you. Um, We actually had mentioned you before. We had a friend on who. She, I don't know if you know Beverly, um, but she lived, was born in Oklahoma. They moved to Texas. They moved back to Oklahoma, and her husband got an opportunity to um, move to Saudi Arabia. And mm. so I was like, come talk to us about living in Saudi and dispel all these lovely myths that people have about the Middle East, please. Yeah. <laughs> let them let them know that it's yeah. a beautiful place full of warm nice. and lovely people. Could you please come? Um, right. And so you and I actually know each other through John Borrego and the yes. inter- interfaith community. The first time we met face-to-face in person was at the Capitol during the hashtag not my enemy <laughs> right right and so uh t- time frame when we had a lovely legislator here trying to um basically create a muslim ban in yeah oklahoma yeah um, and
2: he's now the head of the the republican party in our state go figure right Sweet
1: baby, <laughs> oh my gosh yeah go figure go figure um so we would love to talk to you a little bit about the community, care, your teaching at OSU, any of those yeah. things. So introduce yourself to our listeners and, and All right. go from there.
2: My name is Adam Soltani. I am an American Muslim. I was born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas, um, and we lived in Manhattan. The Little Apple, oh, wow. as it's famously known for... <laughs> Uh, about five years while my father <clears throat> did his PhD from Kansas State University. My father's originally from Iran, and for those of the more mature listeners, he came in 1979 before the Iranian Revolution occurred, and he didn't come for any in any relation to the revolution or politics. He merely came because at that time he had finished his high school. Studies in Iran, and he did his two years of mandatory military service, which they still require in Iran to this day. And then he was looking for higher education opportunities, and he landed in Kansas City International Airport. His cousin, who had came uh, to the United States a few years before him from Iran, picked him up and drove him to Lawrence, Kansas. Said, "Here you go. This is what you want to do, right?" And so my father met my mother, who's from Olathe, Kansas. I was born a few years later in 1983. The rest is history, as they say. However, I was born to a Catholic mother and a Muslim father. And long story short, at the age of 17 years old, my parents raised us in this kind of multi-faith, multicultural home. Did not force us, uh, me and my two younger brothers, to adhere to any particular religion. Rather, they exposed us to different religions, but taught us to respect faith, to respect culture, and to really explore and understand things on our own before we commit to them. So at the age of 17, after a long journey, you know, middle school, high school, trying to figure out my identity, I became Muslim. And I've been that way ever since, you know, with some ups and downs here and there, you know, faith is a journey. It's not a destination. Exactly. And um, Mm -hmm. part of becoming Muslim was about really getting involved, you know, taking, it's not just about believing in something, but You know, it may sound cliche, but faith in action, right? Actually doing something, living it. Yeah, living it. Absolutely. Don't just
0: believe it. Don't just say you believe. Actions have to match your words and thoughts.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, I started finding ways to get involved. I volunteered in many different capacities, and by the time I was getting closer to finishing my undergraduate studies at the University of Central Oklahoma. Um, I joined the Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma Foundation Board for a brief period of time. It was only about, I think, a year or two that I was there. At the same time, I was also a member, a founding board member of CARE Oklahoma, the Council on American Islamic Relations, Oklahoma chapter in 2006. And I helped kind of form that organization, did a lot of the footwork. I was a college student at the time, had some free time on my hands. (laughs) I left the board after we hired a full-time executive director and... Also left the Interfaith Alliance Board and kind of put my volunteering stuff to the side to focus on getting married, you know, kind of establishing my, my career and stuff like that. Long story short, after I graduated uh, from the University of Central Oklahoma with a bachelor's in sociology, I started working at the Department of Human Services as a social service specialist. So I used to deal Ooh. with the SNAP benefits, mm-hmm. sooner care, and uh, daycare assistance before moving into long, long-term care. Uh, which helped elderly and people with developmental disabilities with part or full time in home care. Mm-hmm. And I did that for three years. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. But it wasn't, it didn't pay good. No, I
0: mean, it, it doesn't pay doesn't anything. Pay good. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, but, I'm so sorry then, to say, I'm in long term care and I get yeah. paid really good, but I know your you're point. a
1: nurse. It's yeah. different. He was on the other end. They don't pay. Them. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. just going to say that. Yes. Yeah. And in my
2: position, I wasn't paid. You Let me put it that no, way. And, and that's then,
0: sad because you in that position did a lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the department of human services simultaneously for people who are not aware was going through a huge shift where they're trying to push everything through this. Okay. DHS live and make things go online. And they shut down office after office. I was in three different offices in three years. I did three different uh-huh. programs, social service specialist, ABD for three months, which was age blind and disabled, and then long-term care. I was just frustrated. And then they kept
0: reducing. Imagine. Yeah,
2: yeah. they kept reducing opportunities for advancement. They kept nixing mm-hmm. like, all of these promotion opportunities. And I had friends who were very well qualified, had been there longer than me. And we're getting denied promotions left and right. I'm like, this is a dead end job, you know, a career, I should say. Yes, yes. And so in 2012, the opportunity came up to apply to be director of CARE, Oklahoma. Now, I've been involved in doing a lot of community work with the Muslim community, interfaith community. And I saw the position and like, you know, I wasn't confident enough. So like a lot of young people, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. But you know what? I don't think it's going to work for me. So I deleted it from my inbox. Um, but then I got a call from a friend of mine who convinced me to apply for the position. I consulted with my wife and some close friends, and they believed in me more than I believed in myself at the time. So I did apply in 2012. I was hired and I started July of that year. So I'm almost 10 years in with the Council on American Islamic Relations Oklahoma chapter. I've been doing that. And in late 2019, an opportunity came up to be an adjunct instructor in religious studies at Oklahoma State University. It was kind of a weird thing because they had an instructor she quit abruptly they needed to hire someone temporarily for one semester to fill in again same story the email came on in my inbox someone had forwarded it to me i deleted it because i'm like i don't have time to apply just to be rejected right. and I, because i had no teaching <laughs> right, experience right. Yeah. but i guess they really needed someone they weren't getting qualified applicants so one of my colleagues at oklahoma city university that i work closely with he called me. He's like, "Please apply. They are looking so desperately. I think you'll do great at it." Mm-hmm. So I applied. They hired me. It was supposed to be temporary, but that was uh, the spring 2020 semester, <laughs> and COVID hit, and then all universities went on a hiring freeze. And simultaneously, I actually did pretty good at the teaching thing, even though I know my first semester wasn't my best semester. But they offered me, you know, to stick around, and so I've been there ever since. Uh, teach three classes a semester in religious studies so intro to world religions uh religion and conflict in the middle east uh islam culture history and beliefs and last but not least religion race and social justice which is a new course we launched yeah fall of last year um so that's uh, i know i said a lot but that's basically me in a nutshell i'm married uh to a palestinian american woman Uh, i have two young boys six and nine they keep me very busy they're adorable um yeah, and in my spare time, which I don't have much of, I like to do yard work. Um, I recently have tried to revisit playing video games. I know that you know, <laughs> it sounds a little crazy. I'm about to be 40 years old, but it, it's I've always been a big avid gamer. so I finally got my hands on a PlayStation 5 and I'm forcing myself to try to learn how to relax again, you know, because I seem to work. Way too much. Yes,
0: um, <laughs> that can be hard to retrain and and it is. reteach ourselves. It I, is because I've I been doing this for so well.
1: long. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. it's important too. You know that that balance is that part of that is important because then otherwise right. you lose definitely. your you lose your own identity within the work and you lose yourself.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And and just to you know dig in one step further. Care Oklahoma Council on American Islamic Relations, which is my primary career. And something i've been doing for a decade now it is uh, basically in summary a social justice and civil rights advocacy organization and that's what we were founded as but we have grown into so much more than that absolutely so at our core that's what we did from the very beginning and we've had some very high profile civil rights cases here in the state of oklahoma one of the most famous ones which was actually just featured in that new documentary you can see on netflix called white hot was when young samantha eloff at age 17 years old was denied or was not hired by abercrombie kids in tulsa oklahoma and i forget the name of the shopping mall uh because she wore the headscarf or the hijab and oh, they claimed the that it oh
1: yeah yeah, yeah I that it violated
2: their yeah violated their look policy and so she came to us we worked with her in the eoc she won a 20 or twenty-five settlement they appealed it, it went to the Denver Appeals Court and they won the appeal. And so we took it all the way to the Supreme Court where we won the case, which was really awesome.
1: As you, um, should, have. As you should have. Yes,
2: yeah, and, and, and-, and the cool thing about it was it protected the First Amendment rights as far as religious coverings or symbols for all people. It wasn't just for Muslims,
1: which exactly. was really neat. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, the other big high profile one was in 2010, when State Question 755 was passed, um, and that was the, wa- the law that would ban Sharia from being considered in courts of law, which was basically a solution in search of a problem. That right. was not an issue. <laughs> it was just a way of demonizing the Muslim community. And it took three years. We filed a lawsuit against the state of Oklahoma. We won Three years later, in 2013, when Judge Vicky Miles LaGrange ruled that it violated the Establishment Clause and therefore was unconstitutional. So we do a lot of civil rights work, but we also recognize over time that in order to combat Islamophobia, which is the irrational fear and hate of Islam and Muslims, and to combat, um, you know, hate crimes and discrimination and all this crazy stuff that Muslims face, The thing we have to do is to educate people. So we establish a full-time community outreach department. And that's what we do. That's really the bulk of what we do is education. We also establish a government affairs department because we realize in a place like Oklahoma, I mean, it's not a California, right?
1: Right, Um, right.
2: where, Where it's a really blue state. We're dealing with an uphill battle on so many issues. I mean, every legislative session, it's like a circus at the Capitol. Yes, we can we're, only imagine. You know, yeah, I mean, Muslims are only one of the many targets. In recent years, it's gotten far worse even than that. Yes. But we decided we needed a full-time position and department that could focus on that. And our government affairs is actually quite simple. We don't lobby for particular issues, but rather we focus on three things. Education. Educating Muslims about the legislative process and how they can get involved and engage with their elected officials and educating elected leaders at all levels, city, state, and federal level on the Muslim community and the faith of Islam, uh, engagement, I'm sorry, which is creating opportunities, intentional opportunities for engagement. So, for (laughs) example, having Mayor David Holt speak at our Ramadan iftar, which we had just about two months ago or a month and a half ago.
0: Yes, Yes, I read about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. so gracious for him to be there, um, having so many elected officials from both parties come to the Islamic Society of Norman, Edmond, uh, Greater Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Stillwater, you know, um, having coffee conversations with both Republicans and Democrats, because we, what we explain, and that's on the education side of things, people assume Muslims are Democrats because Democrats being the kind of friendlier, if you will, uh, party as far as not hating on Muslims right. Muslims have naturally gravitated towards that and almost every elected muslim official especially at the national level all of them have been dems Keith Ellison Andre Carson Ilhan Omar Rashida Tlaib and so people make that assumption but the reality is muslims are both republican and democrats in sure, fact they're, people. If it wasn't,
0: <laughs> they're yeah, people they're people
2: but in in reality if you look at islamic theology And you look at a lot of the immigrant Muslims who are far more socially conservative than a lot of American born Muslims are, they would be Republican if it wasn't for all the hate. Right. And some of them are Republican thinking that they can change things. Although, you know, that's a bit of a, an uphill battle in and of itself. So education. Yeah. At this point, (laughs) perhaps at any point, um, education, engagement, and last but not least advocacy. We do advocate for certain things, but those are, closely tied to our policy platform, which focuses around things like religious freedom, Mm -hmm. education, equality, um, and things like that, racial justice, criminal justice reform. However, what we try to do is create individual advocates from each and every member of our community. And we tell them, look, go advocate for whatever you feel is important to you, because Muslims are incredibly diverse. And we're not trying to push one particular issue unless it directly attacks our religious freedom. And so government affairs, community outreach, we have civil rights. We've had a full-time attorney ever since 2014. And I'll wrap up a little bit about CARE with the last two things we've added throughout the pandemic. And we were one of the uh, lucky, really, and blessed uh, nonprofits that we actually were able to pivot and grow during the pandemic by identifying further needs that could be filled during this time. And so we established a prison outreach ministry because we recognize that in the prison system in America, statistically, Islam is one of the largest religions, but not because Muslims are getting arrested, but because people are converting to Islam in prison. And it's the fastest growing religion in the prison system in America right now, predominantly amongst African Americans and Hispanics. That being said, There are 1,400 Muslims incarcerated in the state of Oklahoma with most of them converting to Islam while in prison. They don't have access to education, to a community, to resources. And so we recognize that we thought we could fill a huge gap in a system. And in, in the year and a half we've been doing that, we've seen that it has helped tremendously. And we've actually seen several of these individuals come out of prison and get careers, go back to school and be contributing members of society. And so our end goal is to not just provide these resources while they're incarcerated, but more importantly, create a fully fledged faith-based re-entry system. And then last but not least. support them
1: when they come out. So yeah. 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 So So the rehabilitation works.
2: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And then last but not least, uh, since August of last year, We have been working uh, in conjunction with Catholic Charities. They actually called on us because of the large numbers, and we've helped resettle more than 1,800 Afghan refugees here in the state of Oklahoma, Tulsa, Stillwater, and Oklahoma City. And it's just been a phenomenal experience. We work closely with Catholic Charities, Sparrow Project, and many other organizations to do that. And they're all here now. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. We got all 1,800 in, wow. but they're also having children. So oh, we're now wow. like up to 1,820 or 830 Afghans. And they're working, they're in school, um, they're getting their driver's license, all these awesome things. So that's been a quite an experience. But that's everything I do in a nutshell. Um, and, and I'll stop there so you can ask questions.
1: That's a lot. And it's a beautiful thing. I would like to say also thank you because I have reached out to you a number of times well at least two times that i can think of off of the top of my head where i had someone who you know was in a nursing home and isolated from mm. the community and i'm like can you can somebody go visit him and do you have yeah. anyone who speaks his language like that you can send please and another gentleman who couldn't get out and he just wanted food he just wanted some mm-hmm. some you know and I was like can can you help him can someone go reach out and talk to him he's so lonely you know and our social workers try but if you don't know people in the communities you can't if where do right, they go if you Who don't do they have the connections
0: phone? to those <laughs> cultures and the someone from that cultural community you're lost
1: yeah and so absolutely. I was like, here, if you ever need this again, call them. <laughs> and and right. then I reached out to you on Facebook and and Imam and, and Chassi, and I'm like, please, can you can either one of you help me? <laughs> and
2: absolutely.
1: I listened to a, a podcast called The Philosophy of Crime. And at the end of it, um, James Renner, who's big in the true crime community, always says there's an easy way to reduce crime in your community, and that's get to know your neighbors, really get to know mm. your neighbors. And I always, yeah. in my mind, think all of your neighbors, all of the, right. everyone everyone in the community that is around you that may be different than you, that of isn't course. necessarily living mm. right next to you. Yes. Um, and I feel like a lot of the hate that the community gets, that the that, you know, Muslim community gets, is, is because people don't know their neighbors, and right. it's been placed on TV in such a wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Instead of showing the warmth of the community and the love in the community and the beauty of of your you know the diversity and the beauty of of you know your the Islamic faith and the Muslim community yeah. in general, but that's not what shoved at everybody, right? right. And so at times,
0: exactly, exactly, and, and,
2: and I really that started as I mentioned early on with the Iranian Revolution, according to a lot of academics and scholars of. Of Islamophobia, uh, most notably Dr. John Esposito of Georgetown University. You know, the Iranian Revolution was the birth of oh, modern-day I'm Islamophobia. Crazy.
1: we're okay. Keep going. Yeah, it's okay.
2: It it didn't happen with 9/11, but it actually happened with the Iranian Revolution because that was the first time people saw. You know, you've got the 24-hour news cycle. People, on average, have everyone has at least a television in their home, and they're getting that image of the angry Ayatollah people burning the american flag right. saying death to america coming into their houses that's followed up by you know the iran iraq war gulf desert storm the 1993 um world trade center bombing the oklahoma city bombing in 1995 which a lot of people forget that for the first 48 hours they Muslims, thought,
1: yeah
2: right nice. they thought it was three middle eastern men that were the Sorry. suspects no we... and yeah, yeah, go ahead, we're go good. We're good. And then with nine eleven, of course, that catapulted Islamophobia to a whole uh, new most level. Most definitely,
0: yeah. Yeah. yes, most definitely. Yeah.
2: And so yeah. you're right about the negative, you know, imagery. I will say, in in many ways, there have been improvements because that's one of my things. One of my focus areas uh, of research and and study is the history of Islam in America and kind of the social sociological aspects of it. There have been. That's one, awesome. You know, in television, in fact, more so than movies, although, you know, some movies have come out in recent time with better portrayals. But, you know, Hulu has a show named Rami. I'm not a huge fan personally of the show,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but is one of the first uh, major shows that actually is coming out with a third season that shows just the normal life and the challenges that a young Arab Muslim goes through in America. Um What's the show on TV? Uh, uh, NCIS Los Angeles, you know, LL Cool J and, and yes. such. In the last few seasons, there has been one of the agents of NCIS that has been a Muslim woman who wears the headscarf.
1: Nice. And,
2: mm-hmm. you know, in fact, it's very interesting, that show in particular, because she, was a former actress that didn't wear the headscarf and then became more religious and became an NCIS agent. And she actually talks about that on the show. And I thought, wow, that's really awesome that they actually dug in a little bit. It wasn't just like this character for show.
0: That uh, was superficial. Yes. It was not superficial. Yeah. Made it part of the story.
2: Absolutely. And then 911 uh, Lone Star. Um, is a show my wife likes and about an Austin fire department. And they're actually, I think, since the very beginning, there has been a Muslim woman um, who wears a headscarf and is a firefighter. I thought, how awesome is that? that is awesome. Yeah, that's
1: really cool. Yeah, You
2: know, to have this really positive portrayal uh, about, you know, a Muslim woman of of anything in particular. So it is getting better in Mm -hmm. many ways. In fact, even in some other shows, um, that I've seen on TV, some of the medical shows and stuff like that. There are Muslim women doctors and nurses. They're not necessarily like prime characters, but they're still there. They're in, there. You know, they're, they're getting there. there. Even, they're, if, they're even, even for little,
1: there. little, even for girls, you know, I won't say yeah. little, but girls watching that going, oh, she's wearing a hijab like me. Like there's, right. that representation yes. is so huge, you know. Yes, absolutely,
2: to- absolutely. And, you know, to your point about knowing people, I wanna, I wanna put a plug for this. So Pew Research says that those who know uh, a Muslim are 50% or more less likely to have hatred towards a Muslim. So there is actually data to back up what you said that people who know one another are far less likely to hate or have animosity towards one another. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, the burden on educating people and the burden on forging these relationships have typically fallen on the people who are victims of the hate itself. itself and yes. Yeah, and that's so unfair. It because Muslims, It's exhausting.
0: I can see where it would be exhausting.
2: It is very exhausting, absolutely. Muslims didn't commit 9-11. Mm-mm. Muslims did not blow up the World Trade Center in 1993, or Muslims did not enter into the Pulse nightclub shooting. Individuals did, people that they did not mm-hmm. have a proper understanding of their faith by mm-hmm. all definitions they were criminals many of them have mental health issues they're not highly educated at all and it's really a disservice and and sad to say to blame that on a religion because it's actually the acts of individuals and human beings and shame on us as americans i mean i was born and raised in america and i say shame on us that we don't even recognize that the biggest domestic terrorist group in the history of our country has been the KKK, which, if you want to define it yes. in the same way that people have defined these other acts of terrorism, it's a Christian terrorist group, which is not right, right? Exactly. You shouldn't defined it that way. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. We have to look at things in that manner and say, extremism violence is a human problem. It's not the fault of any religion. So religion. to wrap exactly. up my yeah, to wrap up my point. It's not fair to put this burden on Muslims. No. Why don't we encourage each other to get out and to get to know someone different than us? And that's what I tell Mm -hmm. my students in Stillwater. I teach Intro to World Religions. And throughout the semester, on many occasions, I'll get on my soapbox and I'll tell them, look, you've got to get out there. I can't do this for you, you got to be willing to go to a Buddhist temple, Mm -hmm. a Hindu temple, a Jewish synagogue, a mosque. Now I do one thing for them. The the Islamic Society of Stillwater is uh, one of the very few mosques in the entire country that's actually on a university campus. A lot of people don't know this. So it was right off the campus, but the university expanded and they were doing that thing, eminent domain, where they're buying up properties Mm -hmm. and such. But the mosque, the Islamic Society of Stillwater, was able to negotiate to keep their building on campus and rebuild it to match wow. the university aesthetic. So since it's on campus, I take my students from all my courses, upper and lower level courses, to the mosque every semester as part of a field trip. And I've, I ask them to write was well, required. You know, I require them to write a one to two page reflection paper. And they find this to be so beneficial, even though. Most of them admit that they were scared to go in the first place. But because I'm with them, because they're mm-hmm. in large groups, you know, 40 to 60 people, as the, the class sizes are pretty big, they do show up. And all of a sudden, just by walking in the door, some of them immediately or within the first five or 10 minutes, their entire demeanor and their entire understanding of the second largest faith in the world, which is Islam at 1.8, 1.9 billion people, is shifted to something positive. It and could be it's-
0: so freeing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so, what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at, and just to reiterate, is that those of us—and I say this even myself—because my mother is a was, you know, is is a white American woman, right? That mm-hmm. was raised in a Catholic family, and she is part of the privileged class, right? People are not going to look at her and say, "Oh, yeah, that's a Muslim woman," even though she converted to Islam in 2002. She doesn't wear the headscarf; they would never know. And so. I fit in pretty well. If you know me, you know, now nowadays I'm like, oh yeah, we know you're Muslim. Of course you're Muslim. Like you only know that because I'm all over social media, (laughs) you know, and I've been in all these interviews and stuff like that. But if Adam Sultani wasn't associated with what I do, I would just be some random, random white looking dude, you know, walking down the street that doesn't get sunburned too easily because I happen to have a a dark skinned father. Right, right. Uh, (laughs) Other than that, you know, I could fit in very well. So I have to recognize from my own privileged background that even I have to push myself to be in these uncomfortable situations so that I can grow as a person. So That's what weird. I'm trying to get at is, for those of us who are privileged, and it's not just racial privilege, educationally privileged, you know, if we live a life of comfort, we socioeconomically privileged. Economic
0: yeah. level, yes.
2: We've got to get out of our comfort zone, and we've got to go to places we've never gone before, whether it's religious centers, going to different parts of town. I mean, how many people who have lived in Oklahoma City their entire lives and never been to the northeast side of Oklahoma City? Which is a Mm -hmm. beautiful area and beautiful people. And economically, it's actually starting to grow and blossom once again, especially thanks to Councilwoman Nikki Nice, who is doing such a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. rebuilding the economic support for that part town yes and so the point is we've got to get out of our comfort zone i tell my students get comfortable with being uncomfortable if you
1: ever want to grow because otherwise there is
0: no there isn't we just said this there is no growth in your comfort zone
1: Yep, we Mm -hmm. said all the time you got to push to you gotta gotta push push. you gotta push to to, uh to push to grow to to learn yeah absolutely have to and so um Okay so and you have said and I've said this when we've talked about um race relations you know it's not your African American mm. friends it's not your black and brown friends responsibility to teach you about what their life is like. There are plenty of books and documentaries and different things like that that are out there and available for you to help educate yourself and then ask questions and, and ask them to tell you if the question is stupid or
0: Don't be not, be not necessarily stru- stupid. but you Don't know, be afraid. Don't be afraid even if the question is stupid. It's, right.
1: Or ignorant, really, because you just aren't educated. You know? Well, so yeah, it's, it's ignorant, ignorant really that. because
0: you can fix ignorance. You can't fix stupid. Mm.
1: <laughs> Sorry. You can't. You can't. So Uh, yeah, it's that it's it's that same responsibility. And I know that a lot of people are relying on their Sunday school teachers and and not necessarily getting the whole story of, you know, the Islamic faith in the Muslim community. And so Mm -hmm. do you have any recommendations on can they call care can they oh yeah do you have books that you can recommend for them to to try oh, yeah. to 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 get that information because some of these things you know aren't necessary aren't aren't true at all they're maybe just maybe not, not be
0: completely available at others uh, someone not from this that culture May not know exactly where to go to get that um, information.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, no, definitely. You can go to CARE Oklahoma, our website, care, Oklahoma, C-A-I-R, oklahoma.com You can go there, you contact us. We're very good at getting back to people. You know, we've got a small team of five people, but we're very dynamic, very robust, and we're actually pretty diverse. We're three Muslims, two non Muslims. Um, so we're very diverse and I'm the only man, so I'm actually outnumbered, you know, I'm the minority (laughs) in my own office. Um, but yeah, no, we're happy to help you point you in the right direction, connect you to people. If you don't live in Oklahoma city where our office is, if you're out in Stillwater, Ardmore, Ada, Lawton, you know, wherever you are, even in the Panhandle, I got friends out in Guyman. you know, we'll connect you to people that can have those conversations with you that can help you guide you along. Um, As far as, you know, things to watch or things to read, actually, we have a great YouTube channel, CARE Oklahoma, again, CAIR Oklahoma, you can subscribe to it. We got a series on there, Islam in 90, where we actually answer commonly asked questions about Islam and Muslims in 90 seconds or less. That was a product of the COVID pandemic where Mm -hmm. I got bored and (laughs) my creative juices were flowing Uh, Yeah. And so I got with my videographer and we just came up with this thing. We just had some fun with it, but we've kept it going. Um, we also started a new TV series called Halal Things Considered. Oh, that's hysterical. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <it's on laughs> our what YouTube was it? Channel. Will you
0: say it again?
2: <laughs> halal Things Considered. <clears throat> yeah. Halal oh is the, uh. the Islamic term for permissible. Um, often referred to the type of meat Muslims are able to eat. So people are, you know, commonly know of it at like a halal food or halal restaurants, but oh. yeah, it's, it's just a fun, quirky, almost daily show type, uh, broadcast that we do monthly. Okay. Uh, we paused it because of Ramadan. So we'll pick it back up at the end of May, but we're just trying to highlight some things. Number one, that aren't always, you know, talked about within about the Muslim right. community and things we're doing, but also Talk about things like politics and current events from an Oklahoma Muslim perspective. So you can check that awesome. out. Yeah. On That's our YouTube great. channel. Yeah, I'm
0: going to. Yeah. Um,
2: as far as things to watch, there's a great film which is a little bit hard to find, but I know you can purchase it on some of the streaming platforms called American East. American East, the direction, E-A-S-T. Mm-hmm. And it's a great film that shows the challenges. That Muslims in America go through in a post 9-11 world, especially when it comes to Islamophobia and discrimination and such. Um, As far as reading books, probably few books I would recommend. Number one is Islam in America by Jonathan Curio, which is a great and it's pretty concise, about 300 or so pages, history of Islam in America. Very good to read. Another one by Amir Hussain, very similar in vain, also a short read, which is called Muslims in the Making of America. Mm-hmm. So Islam in America by Jonathan Curiel or Muslims in the Making of America by Amir Hussain. And then last but not least, uh, What Everyone Needs to Know About Islam by John Esposito, which is actually a nice uh, book that's formatted in a Q&A format. So you don't have to like read it from cover to cover. You can just go through a table of contents see what question you're interested like I have a question about this or that and go read what is the answer to it and John Esposito he is not Muslim he's been an academic instructor of Muslim Christian relations at Georgetown University for like 30 or 40 years so he explains it in a way that's easy for people to understand no matter what background you come from Mm -hmm. and then if I were to add one bonus book to that list it would be the autobiography of Malcolm X which I am
1: that is such a good book. You phenomenal have a- book yeah
2: phenomenal i probably read that more than any other book and if you don't want to read it you can get the audible app and download the audio book that they released about two years ago in which lawrence fishburne reads it and he in my opinion does an even better job than denzel washington did acting in the spikely movie mm-hmm. um, which is not bad also the spikely movie is good except they did change part of the story which doesn't really heard it it's just you know the the whole issue of how he became uh introduced to islam while he was in prison was actually through his brother and sister not through some random guy he met but right. nevertheless filmmaking right
1: right and so the
2: autobiography of malcolm x highly recommended in fact i personally have been advocating that this should be required reading in high school because I, I agree
0: think, i yeah. yes, yes so many
2: people would benefit from this and i i have included that in the curriculum for my religion, race, and social justice. We actually go through the entire book in the semester. And it's interesting because I, I only taught that course once. It started in fall of 2021. We'll be teaching again in the fall of 2022. And I asked my students, who are a diverse group of students, I said, have any of you heard of Malcolm X before? And most of them not. The few who did had said that we just heard that he really? was like. Yeah, they had never heard. Of course, these are these are kids that were born, you know, in like 2002 2003 so they're pretty young but they had never heard of malcolm x most of them those who did say we had just heard he was kind of like an angry black man and that came even from my black students which concerned <laughs> me right mm-hmm. this and tells so you about I'm, our education mm,
1: system uh, in america oh my say. gosh this oh my god yeah.
2: but Hey in Oklahoma I pulled my students in the same course mm-hmm. and most of them never learned anything about the Tulsa race massacre in school either. So I didn't no and figure, I went to Oklahoma.
1: Right? Yeah, I I did. Same. But I, I did met Oklahoma, I actually but... met a survivor of wow. of wow. As, as in in work at work one day and I see this picture up and I had already learned about the, you know, massacre in mm. on my own and I was like is this is this Greenwood? And she was like, how do you know mm. about Greenwood? And I'm like, no, no. Is that Greenwood? <laughs> mm. And uh, so she was a small child and so she told me her story. I, I was walking out and saw the photo and then she told me that and I was like, drop the bag. I'm sitting back down. We're not done yet. <laughs> I'm going to be yeah. late to my next appointment. So, um, mm. but it is a tragedy, isn't it? Like some of the things that that's we don't. Just,
0: that's just unbelievable, truly. I mean we should be better than that. We've come mm. so far, but yet Oof. we've come nowhere almost you know what i mean it's mm. it's sad really i almost 20, 22 and and be no further
1: <laughs> than what we are yeah it, yeah it feels like we're yeah. backpedaling um rapidly so i'm gonna ask mm-hmm. um some rapid fire wrong questions yes. are you ready i'm ready mm-hmm. is care a terrorist organization
2: no absolutely not and look <laughs> I get this question all the time. I first I, I I, say a few things in response to that. Number one, look at our track record. You can look at our website <laughs> exactly. and all the work we've done. I mean, if you define terrorism as, you know, volunteering at the Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma or feeding homeless people or her helping establish the first ever Muslim run food pantry in the state of Oklahoma that services more than 700 people weekly. Sure, that's terrorism. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but no, we don't right. like look at our track record. We're a very public organization. We're 501c3 with the IRS. You know, we file our taxes every single year. We ne- we never miss it. We rarely even have to, you know, request an extension because we just want to make sure we stay on top of those things. Uh, you could call the police department. You could call the FBI. They know me because I've met with everyone from the top down, and we work with them closely. And ask them, are we a terrorist organization? Because I say what I said to a reporter many years ago when. You know, former uh, House member John Bennett was saying the same thing. I say, hey, if I'm a terrorist and I work for a terrorist organization, let's go to the FBI office right now in Oklahoma City. I happen to know exactly where it is because I've been there several times myself for meetings and ask them to arrest me, which they will not because we're not a terrorist organization. organization. Right. Exactly. And so it's just idiotic and stupid for people to say those things. They do say it all the time but it's yes. really just been a way by which people can demonize an organization that is shaking things up and fighting spread for the rights, right? They want to spread, Hey, we're just shaking things up and trying to fight for the constitutional rights <laughs> of Muslims in America. That's right. And we're, we're pushing back against, you know, the establishment, if you will, which in Oklahoma happens to be, you know, a very strong Republican party and happens to be a history of, systemic racism and white supremacy and people don't like that Uh, but you know that's what we're dealing with so yeah the idea or the notion that CARE is a terrorist organization I say look at the facts if exactly. you can find even an iota of evidence that would point to that bring it forth but you won't so there so we that's have it that,
1: that's the end of that yeah. one so we've dispelled that <laughs> we've we've debunked that one thoroughly um and and you know where i stand on these 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 questions so oh, yes. that's that's why i'm asking them is because <laughs> i want people to hear this i want them to know right
0: get the answers out get the, the truth exactly. the true exactly. answer exactly um, not some fabrication that's been brought to you by all the hate and and right. ignorance and ignorance and uh and education <clears throat> <laughs> right yeah or fox exactly. oh yes i love fox news <laughs> <laughs> love them um, I, yeah i have a perm. fox news
1: um and so then the next one would be <clears throat> are you only going to do this education so that you can convert people to the islamic faith Oh,
2: well, yeah, you know, that's a great question because according to research and statistics and outlook for the future, by 2050, the Muslim population will double in size in America, which means we'll go from being 1% to 2%. Woo-hoo. We can't wait. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. no, <laughs> I, I'm being sarcastic and I'm just joking we around love a little that. bit. The reality is, no. In fact, If you look at Christianity, in particular Protestant Christianity, and you look at Sunni mainstream Islam, which is about 85 to 90% of the 1.99 billion Muslims in the world, Muslims are far less aggressive at proselytizing and pushing for conversion to their religion than Protestant Christians are. Muslims do not send people on missionary trips to Africa to try to convert people by trying to appeal to their humanity and and trying to fix their impoverished living. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Don't get me wrong here, but I'm saying that's what happens, right? People are sent from Protestant Mm -hmm. Christian groups in America Mm -hmm. to black Africa with the idea that oh, we're bringing them, you know, all these gifts and money and things like that in hopes that will appeal to their heart and convert them right. to Christianity. Yep. Well, to me, that is that's, true. you know, that's a little bit shady because you're not appealing to their heart. You're appealing to the lack of it's what they have bribery. And, and your privileged status to be able to bring it to them. So yeah. that being said, historically, Islam has never been about trying to convert as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. The one concept we have in Islamic theology is called Dawah, D-A-W-A-H, which is an Arabic term, which means to spread the message. So I, I liken that more to outreach and awareness, not so much conversion. And in fact, in chapter two of the Holy Quran, which is the longest chapter, towards the end of it, it says very clearly, "La ikra hafid in Arabic, which means there is no compulsion in religion in english that you cannot force somebody to convert and someone who does not accept and embrace islam truly from their heart it's meaningless so this is a part of our theology so yeah the idea that we're trying to do that is just ludicrous there's no basis for it whatsoever um and and honestly i don't know I don't, you, I don't do know do what else you can say. There's where
1: nothing. do you go from You're that? You're good. Right. There's just nothing I mean, there. <laughs> no, there's no there there. There's no there there exactly. in any of these questions. Yeah. So are you only being friendly and showing us warmth and kindness so that you can, um, and you did a talk on this on your Facebook, and I was like, yeah. this is the most brilliant thing ever. So I already can kind of know the answer so that you can, you know, wage jihad on us all and kill us.
2: Oh, yes. yes. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely not. You know, the, the so actually is an interesting thing. That is one of the most misunderstood terms in uh when it comes to Arabic and also Islamic theology. The term jihad does not translate to holy war, which is typically what a lot of the mm-hmm. you know right far right wing politicians and the pundits on the media will want you to believe. There's actually no term in the holy Quran or in the Arabic language. That translates to holy war in the way that people want you to believe, or in the Quran, I should say, the Arabic Quran. But actually, jihad means to struggle and to strive. And there are two types of struggling and striving, according to Islamic theology. The major struggle, which is to struggle against yourself, right, your own inclinations to want Mm -hmm. to sin and do bad things. So I'm a man. Look, I hope my wife doesn't hear this. But, you know, I'm a man. Mm -hmm. I have my weaknesses. I'm not saying I do this. So for, for the record, I don't do this. But let's say I had a problem with pornography. Okay. Mm-hmm. I could say my jihad is when I open my phone or my computer to not go to these bad sites because it's bad for my heart. Mm-hmm. It's bad for my soul. And it's been forbidden in the holy scripture of Islam to look at anyone other than your wife than your wife in a, in a lustful or, or desirous manner. That is an example of what jihad is in Islam, is to stay away from those sinful things. In fact, the Qur'an says don't even go near it. So when it talks about fornication, it says, Wa la zina. Do not even go close to fornication. So if you know you're going to be in a place that would lead you to sin, don't even go to that place, right? Don't put yourself in that situation. So the major jihad is to avoid those things and then also to commit yourself to doing things that are good for you, like the praying five times a day, which Muslims do, like fasting 30 days in Ramadan from sunup to sundown where we're not eating or drinking, right? That's what jihad really uh, uh, means. Now, the minor jihad is that you can fight. And that's where some people get hung up on. But fighting according to the holy scripture and the example of the prophet muhammad is not that you're ever the aggressor right so we're not going out there like i'm not going up on stage and slapping chris rock right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that would be considered
2: that would be considered inappropriate right <laughs> according to what islam teaches mm-hmm. but rather if i'm at home with my family right and someone breaks in my house and i get a gun to defend myself and i actually even kill the perpetrator who entered into my premises into my actual house i would not be considered sinful according to islamic theology because i am defending my family right or if someone approached me on the street and started to fight with me and i fought back with them no matter whether i hurt that person or not i'm still not sinful because i'm protecting myself so defending yourself your family even your homeland, so like, for example, um, you know, Morocco is a Muslim country. If France decided to invade Morocco and they were fighting back to defend their home country, that's perfectly allowed within Islamic theology. So that being said, I gave a lot of explanation, but I feel it's necessary because the term jihad means to struggle.
0: I agree. Yes, yes. The
2: major struggle is the spiritual struggle. The minor struggle is that physical struggle that sometimes occurs when human beings have confrontations with one another. The caveat is to never be the aggressor and to never be the one to go out seeking to commit violence or harm to any other person. In fact, chapter 5, verse 32 of the Holy Quran says very clearly that to take the life of one innocent person, it's as if you killed all humanity. That's the weight of the sin. Mm -hmm. And it follows that up by saying to save the lives of one innocent person. It's as if you saved all humanity. And for that reason, there are numerous Muslim organizations in the world. Islamic Relief being one of the largest ones that are committed to helping human beings in all walks of life because they understand the importance of helping people who live in poverty, who live in oppression, who face natural disasters and things like that. So. Long answer, but necessary. I, answer.
0: Perfect. I think it's amazing, though, because you're reinf- in that if if people would just reach out and get to know and ask questions, they would see that it's really almost the complete opposite end oh, yeah. of the spectrum than what they're allowing their mind and their self to think and believe and spread
1: absolutely exactly absolutely. and it's it's so it's so funny to me because you know I I um am Jewish by faith more agnostic than you know anything but still I love all religions like my path to Judaism has been a bumpy one through a lot of different mm. things and we you know there's yitzhahara and HaTov, the inclination to do good and evil and then mm. you know in our our midrash and and some of our stories we say the same thing there's a story in you know um some of our midrash that says says the same thing to take the life of one to save the life of one mm-hmm. is to say i mean that was in um schindler's list you know if you save the life of one you save the world entire and, wow. and so our teachings are very simple we're more alike than we are different is my whole different, point? yes <laughs> um
0: i i uh wasn't I was baptized as Catholic as an adult, but I'm also an ordained minister. And Mm. I truly believe that my religious, spiritual journey and road uh, has also been bumpy. And I think that my personal connection to higher power and my God is more important than an organized religious name mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it does yeah,
1: yeah. It does.
2: that's it does. very powerful yeah i think i think that's the thing is that in in the world we live in today i've observed that you know we some people have lost that personal connection to,
0: i have so said that before yeah. that we need to get back to our our roots and swear. Mm-hmm. You know that we need to get back to yes, that human con that right. what you just said, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: The, the the individual relationship with whatever higher power you believe in is incredibly important because I think we live in a in a country in which everything mm-hmm. is it, well. We kind of have this like secular type thing, even though I argue that we're really not as secular as we want to believe we are. We're not, but. Yeah. The issue is because we try to keep things separate. And for so long, religion has been forced out of the workplace and out of schools and things like that, especially not in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is still a very religious place compared to some other states. But, you know, people seem to relegate religion for like one day a week or one hour a week, whereas it should be much more than that. And that was all day, every day.
0: Yeah,
2: that was one of the. I think best outcomes for me kind of silver lining from the pandemic was I feel like I benefited as a person of faith more spiritually during the pandemic than I did under ner- normal circumstances because you're forced mm-hmm. then to say well what am I going to do I'm I don't have that peer pressure I don't have that collective you know group that I'm a part of going to the prayer service and things like that mm-hmm. so how am I going to continue spiritually developing myself when I'm isolated and so you're forced to figure that out and rekindle that personal relationship with the higher power you believe in
1: exactly exactly exactly. one last question since we're you know a woman podcast two women two women and we you know and then our guests so (laughs) does the does the islamic faith suppress their women and i know the answer is no because you had to check in with your wife on the scheduling of this (laughs) Yes,
0: (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I and know. you're and you're uh, out
1: and you're outnumbered at the I'm office at the office. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But go ahead I, and, I and know and give us this. Why do people think that this happens? Like that's what's so confusing to me. Is again, do they just yeah. not know anyone?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm married to a Muslim woman. I have been for 13 years, and I tell people, you know, in the relationship that I'm in. Um, I'm the oppressed one, not my wife, you know. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I need some help here, people. <laughs> uh, all joke. I mean, she actually probably would accept that, you know. She's a Palestinian woman, and Palestinian women are, are very strong-headed people. Um, but, you know, I think what the issue is is not just, you know, the fact that Muslim societies still are pretty patriarchal and male dominated, especially at a political level, although that's changing a lot. But society in general has been patriarchal and male mm dominant. I mean, look at America. We've never had a female president in the history of the United States. In fact, The closest we may come is if Joe Biden dies before he ends his presidency because. Right, (laughs) right.
1: Yes, we have a female vice president. And let's be clear that most other developed countries have had, you know. They're yeah. their head leaders of their executive branches as women, either as prime ministers or yes. multiple Very times true. over, and we still multiple can't times. get there. So, That's yeah. true. Yes. That's
2: true. And in fact, the, the Islamic Society of North America, which is the largest Muslim organization in North America, both the United States and Canada, had a female president about 20 years ago, which is still has not occurred in the United States itself, <laughs> yes. right? And so I think this kind of goes back to everything we've been talking about, lack of education, ignorance, lack of connection, right? Because if people actually knew a Muslim woman, they would not assume that this Muslim woman is oppressed because she wears the headscarf, is oppressed because the Muslim family dynamics are a little different than modern day American family dynamics in that a lot of Muslim women still choose to not work full time. They choose to be caretakers for their home and to raise their children. I mean, look, in America, you know, we're talking about women's rights and feminism and female empowerment, but that's led to the breakdown of the family structure and led to a lot of We've issues when it that. comes yeah, mm-hmm. to, to children being raised in a very, you know, uh, productive and positive environment. So I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but I think we have to look at things from a different perspective. There was a book I read years ago, and and I apologize, I cannot remember the name of it. But it was a female reporter that traveled to the Middle East, different Arab countries in the Middle East. And she interviewed Muslims and lived with them and was kind of looking at things from an anthropological perspective. And it was interesting because she was with a group of women in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia, they dress pretty conservatively in public. Mm -hmm. And the women were walking by a shop that had mannequins with bikinis on. And they were actually talking about it. And saying how oh that's so terrible that in America women have to dress like this in order to be you know socially accepted or to fit in and whatnot. <laughs> mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they were having a conversation that women in America, from their perspective, are actually oppressed or it, or treated unjustly because they have to compete with the societal expectation on how they're supposed to dress right? right how much cleavage to show or how tight yep, how short be. your
0: skirt is right.
2: not too short are, and not too, not too short right though.
1: yeah right so
0: there's <laughs> yes, all yes. these
2: unwritten rules about how it has to be sexy but not sexy not too sexy right right to, right you know, and depends on the circumstance right because i mean right. if it's beach volleyball we want women in bikinis mm. but if it's not you know and so anyways long story short they were having this discussion from the opposite spectrum right that oh We cover and we feel a lot more freedom because we're not judged according to our bodies, but we're judged according to our intellect, right? Right. And so that's the thing I think people need to think about is that look at it from a different perspective. and know that the vast majority of Muslim women choose to wear the headscarf. They're not forced to. In fact, my wife, when we were first married, she was wearing the headscarf. She chose to take it off. And I supported her, you know, regardless of what she wanted to do, because that's a personal decision Mm -hmm. that a Muslim woman has to make. And that is according to her, you know, understanding of faith, her understanding of scripture and her, you know, spiritual journey where she is at. So anyways, Long story short, no, absolutely not. Women are not oppressed at all in the Islamic faith. Now, culturally, is that the case? Well, yeah, of course. There are more than 70 different cultures that comprise the Muslim, you know, uh, faith group or Islam as a faith throughout the world. I mean, it's 1.9 billion people. So, yeah, cultures are sometimes pretty crappy, but so is American yep. culture. Exactly. You know, I no mean,
0: kidding. <laughs> I mean, Christianity That's is... Cool.
2: Yeah, Christianity is the largest religion in the United States. So if we were to define America according to religion, we're more Christian than anything else. Do you want people looking at America as a Christian country and saying, oh, wow, look at the you know, the amount of uh, women who are incarcerated in America. In fact, Oklahoma used to be number one for incarceration of women, and we're in the Bible Belt, and we have more churches probably than most states in the country. So does that define how Christian we are? Of course not. Or how about the, the, the uh, percentage of women and children Children that are victims of domestic assault of domestic and sexual violence. abuse, right, domestic violence, mm. does that mean that, oh my God, because Christianity is so dominant in America, there's something wrong with Christianity and the way it treats women and children? Of course not, right? We have to stop thinking of things in these very simplistic terms and really understand that everything is far more complex than we yes. sometimes give it credit for. And when you involve human beings in anything, It's always complicated, right? Always complicated. So that being said, men and women, spiritually speaking, from an Islamic theological standpoint, are on equal footing. Both have equal opportunities to worship and to earn their own way into heaven or hell if they choose not to do right things, right? So equal opportunities. And in fact, a lot of people don't realize this, but women are elevated in the Islamic faith in so many ways. The Prophet Muhammad said in one of his most famous sayings that's been enshrined in the books of Hadith, which are the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, he said, paradise is under the feet of your mother. And someone asked, then who? He said, your mother. Then who? He said, your mother. Then who? Fourth time, he said, your father, right? So when it comes to respect of parents, (laughs) <laughs> the mother should be respected and venerated more than the father because of the dedication a mother has to a child from childbirth onwards right mm-hmm. and it doesn't take any special expertise to see that the way that women and and mothers in particular are towards are, are in in treating their children right also, there's only one woman mentioned by name in the entire Quran, which is Mary, mother of Jesus. In fact, she's given her own chapter, chapter 19, which also shows the relationship that Islam has to Christianity mm. in respecting Mary, mother of Jesus, and Jesus himself as a prophet and, and, and a messenger of God. And so that being said, there, I could go on and on, but this is just some of the things in which Islam... Puts a priority on giving respect and adoration, and putting women on a pedestal, versus the the perception that women are ill treated or or oppressed.
0: Mm-hmm. In Again, the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Exactly,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. So, well, Adam, any any parting. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh my you. gosh, thank
0: you. I have Absolutely. so enjoyed. Um, having you on and I did have some questions, but you, I didn't have to ask any, you <laughs> offered all of that information and, and shared so much. I am so appreciative that you have educated me to the point that I am going to, uh, watch and read and I did take notes. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, Oh my gosh! Thank you. I can't say that enough. I my pleasure. It. I appreciate my it. My pleasure. And and thank your wife for allowing you to be on. Yes. <laughs>
2: I, I think she's happy, you know, to get a break from me, you know. <laughs> um, so you know, parting words, if you will, I would say, you know, as a person who was raised in a multicultural, multi faith home, I think it's incredibly important. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about Islam as a faith and Muslim as a people, and obviously. That being my faith and my religion is something very personal and near and dear to me. But that being said, I encourage people, look, we've got to educate ourselves about different cultures, different religions, different perspectives on the same topics, because we need to grow and become better as a nation. The future of America as a place that is truly diverse and that protects the diversity of thought The diversity of of belief, the diversity of the way we live our lives hinges on our ability to embrace this diversity. And it's only going to become more and more diverse. And if we want America to succeed as a country and continue to be the place where we can freely believe in and practice whatever we want, we've got to fight for that future so that America can continue to succeed. Because there are forces in our country politically socially economically that are trying to keep america very monochromatic if you will right Mm -hmm. and very homogeneous in a way and not allow it to continue to grow and flourish and evolve over time so get out of your comfort zone learn something new meet someone new go someplace new and nowadays it's so easy you know with technology I learned so much by watching these short documentaries on YouTube that you can't even find on television, you know, and I'll leave this as, as a fun one that you can check out the food ranger. You can find his channel on YouTube. It's this white dude. I don't even remember his name, to be honest with you. I just remember that he calls himself the food ranger and he travels all over the world. And it just so happens that I came to be, Uh, aware of him when he traveled to Iran before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And he spent several weeks there and he learns about culture and faith and different lifestyles and perspectives by exploring food in the region itself. And so he's been to Iran, China, Indonesia, India, Pakistan, and so many other places. So check out the food ranger. And it's very neat how just these small, like 10, 15 minute videos Will expand your horizon. Expand, yes. Exactly so much. So that's that's just my encouragement is that we gotta get out of our comfort zone. We've got to learn something new, meet someone new. And hey, if you need a Muslim friend, Adam Sultani, find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, all those kinds of things, Twitter, and I'll be glad to be your Muslim friend and we can get to know more about each other and grow together. And and that's my offer to each and every listener of the podcast.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And I encourage you all to go find him on all those social medias because he's not kidding. He will be your Muslim friend. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. 100%. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. We appreciate you.
2: All right. Thank you. Have a wonderful Uh day.
0: You too. You as well. take a minute to thank you for listening sharing and engaging with us
1: subscribing and following our social media pages your feedback is invaluable to us it helps us to know the stories and chapters to seek out it helps to make us better and we can't tell you how much that means to us you can find links to all of our social media
0: pages and everywhere we can be streamed on our flow page that's www.flow.page slash not in the textbooks podcast If you have a second, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. Five star, please. It really does help out the show. Remember, we're in the middle of figuring out the crazy stories of our lives. So create a little kindness.
1: Show some love and compassion. And if you can't because your chapter is just too hard right now, we're here for you and we're rooting for you. So just Just keep keep going. going. We hope to see you back here in the stacks digging up some stories and chapters for next week.